Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that brings those sweet, nostalgic movies and TV shows right back into your brain and you love us for it. And we love you too. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are celebrating the start of the baseball season by doing a sports slash baseball episode. Play ball! We are going to review the 1993 movie Rookie of the Year. We are going to do a fantasy casting of our favorite real-life baseball players for every position, so our own starting lineup, and then because there's not really a TV show that's based on baseball, uh, we're doing a sports-based TV show, and we are going to review the kids' show from Nickelodeon that ran from 1992 to 1995. Guts, do you have it? 93. That's That's a pretty cool year. I assume. Actually, yeah, especially for, if you're uh, nostalgic for stuff. A little movie called Schindler's List walked away with Best Picture. Great movie. I've only seen it once because I feel like I didn't need to see, ever see it again. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I will say I've probably not watched it again. I own it. But the problem is I accidentally bought it in full frame as opposed to widescreen. And like, there's a couple of them in my big DVD collection that I accidentally bought on 4x3 instead of 16 by 9 and I almost refuse to watch them because I'm like, I'm so stupid. Why did I buy them in full frame? Why didn't I actually get these in widescreen? You can just use it as a coaster. Yeah, there you go. The song to top the Billboard Hot 100 of that year was I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. I may not be like a huge Whitney fan, but that song, that's a gorgeous song. Yeah. A lot of people don't know it was actually written by Dolly Parton about 20 years earlier. Mm -hmm. To me, it's one of those songs. I'm not going to put that in the realm of Ice Ice Baby and You Can't Touch This, but it's one of those ones that at the time it was so oversaturated that you just, you didn't want to hear it again. But now 20 plus years later, going back and listening to it, you can listen to it without irony. Because of that single song, I believe the Bodyguard soundtrack became one of like the highest selling movie soundtracks of all time. I believe it. And it was really exactly only really for that song. Kind of like how Frozen became such a big fucking movie and soundtrack because of their one song. Right. Same kind of thing. A couple of other things of note from 1993. Apparently, up until 1993, female senators uh, were not allowed to wear pants. (laughs) holy shit yeah that's a ridiculous rule and i can't believe that it was up till the 90s i know also for some of you uh, geeks out there 1993 saw the first publishing of the game magic the gathering which i did play in high school but i have not played since yeah i was about the same i just i had like a starter deck and then i haven't played at all and that's pretty much it (laughs) (laughs) okay there's other smaller little things but those were only things that i felt were worth mentioning if we do another movie from 1993 let's hope we can drudge up some other interesting (laughs) facts (laughs) all right well without further ado let's dive into rookie of the year rookie of the year as we said from 1993 uh this movie stars thomas ian nicholas who, for me, is probably most famous from American Pie. He's one of the guys from American Pie, that and this movie. Yeah. This movie also stars Gary Busey, who's looking particularly human. Like, he doesn't, (laughs) he looks actually like a legitimate person in this movie. He doesn't look like the Gary Busey I know of now. Yeah, this is my second favorite Gary Busey movie, behind Under Siege. 
I thought maybe Lethal Weapon or Point Break, but you go Under Siege is this next one. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good one. Lethal Weapon is okay, he, or his performance in that. But, like, for me, when I think Gary Busey, I think Under Siege, and then I think Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he is pretty crazy in Under Siege. This also stars Amy Morton, who plays the mother, uh, Albert Hall, who plays the coach, and Daniel Stern, who plays Brickma, who was from City Slickers. We've already talked about him in Home Alone. And who is uncredited for some reason in this movie is John Candy, who plays the announcer. Huh, I didn't realize he was uncredited. Which is ridiculous because he has plenty of talking. Yeah, he does a pretty big role. That makes no sense. This film was directed by Daniel Stern. His only movie, right? Yes, his only feature. He did a couple episodes of Wonder Years and some little couple other TV shows. Really not much directing, but this is his only feature. This is a good one to go in and out of. If I was going to say, say so. it's, it's not a bad movie for it to be the only one he's directed. I thought it was really well. Yeah, and the music... Actually, which I don't know if we'll talk about later, but the music in this movie is really not bad. I really thought the music was solid, and it was done by Bill Conti, who is probably most famous for doing the music for Rocky. Oh, okay. A great soundtrack. So... Rookie of the Year, uh, we open up at a Cubs game. We're just kind of getting ready. It's opening day at Wrigley Field. We meet John Candy is our first person that we meet, and he's a radio announcer for the Cubs. And really, he's just kind of setting up that, oh, this is going to be another shitty season for the Cubs. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's not a used up trope, but it's a common trope, especially when movies have to do with baseball teams, that they always start at the bottom. You see this in Major League. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good because it gives you somewhere to go. And of course, with the Cubbies, this was like, this was their thing for a long yes. time. Obviously not anymore. They've retrofitted that and they're a good team again who's won a World Series since yeah. the whole goat incident. <laughs> so yeah, so we have that whole thing set up. We get a solid little edit here. I love it when we get like good matching action edits. Mm-hmm. And it happens a couple times in this film where the Cubs are playing like their first game and there's this big outfield hit that might become a catch and you don't know what's going to happen. And then it cuts from the Cubs outfielder to Henry who catches a ball and we, we just get a good it's just a good match cut and it works really well for me but here we meet we're meeting Henry and his pals we kind of get almost not really maybe not almost a buddy movie but there's an aspect of a boy and his friends you know and being a child in here yeah we're just kind of setting up also that Henry uh Henry kind of blows when it comes to baseball <laughs> Yeah, he's not very good. <laughs> no, no, not very good. And also we find out uh, Henry has has a big mouth. He likes to taunt. Okay, Deezer, let her rip! Throw him the cheddar! Come on, right in the kitchen! Come on, get the big, high, sneaky... Would you shut up? For him, baseball is like half taunting and it's just like half yelling at people. And I, I love that. It definitely gives you a, a window into his personality. 
Yeah, but we see we see just how bad he is when he gets put into the game and we see a ball gets hit his way and one he can't catch it. He runs into the back of the fence <laughs> uh, into the outfield. He hits his hat like down onto his head and he takes the ball. He doesn't know where he's throwing and he's spinning around and he throws it out of the park. <laughs> and it's just it's it's a funny scene. He looks he's stupid. I just I wanted to be like you fucking idiot. Like just just pull up your hat. Like what are you doing? <laughs> this is so stupid. But it was still funny. It was comedic and I, yeah. I liked it. And it really really set up that this kid is a is a bona fide idiot when it comes to baseball. I kind of like right before this when it cuts to him at the baseball game. I forget exactly what he says to his mother, but he says something about he can't bench me over someone, or I I wish I could remember the exact rule. But then it cuts to him on the bench, and the person in his position is sort of like the nerdiest looking kid. Yeah, who's like sneezing, he's got allergies or some shit, yeah. It really tells you how bad he is, because he looks still pretty athletic, and the coach still decided to put this really sort of lanky, (laughs) round-faced kid with big glasses, who they really tried to kind of nerd up in how he looked, just to make the point, just to drive it home, that Henry is not good at this. (laughs) So Henry's back at home, Uh, we just get a little bit of exposition here about, you know, Henry's father is not around, that apparently his father was a pitcher. That's pretty much all we kind of know about the dad at this point yeah is this so this is a little subplot is just about henry's father figure issues it kind of sounds like his mom still sort of romanticized his father to her i don't think the father has been around at all spoiler alert as we found out yeah the dad i don't think henry's even ever met his dad no which sucks god damn (laughs) (laughs) makes me want to go punch that guy I don't know who this who this character father is, but I want to go punch him. I'm actually kind of surprised just because when we get that kind of setup of the dad hasn't been around for a while, uh-huh. and yet the son then has a bunch of success, that the dad will come back into his life to try and like get a slice of that success. Right. And they didn't have that. They didn't have that storyline here, which is good. I don't need that, but I'm just yeah. kind of surprised they didn't go in that route. You know, that's to me, that would be too heavy for a kid's movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably true. So, but speaking of father figures, I'm putting air quotes. Uh, the mother is dating this guy right now, and his name is Jack. He looks like that early 90s, late 80s sleazeball, like a guy who watched Wall Street a little bit too many times and like <laughs> thought he could have a piece of that life. And every good kid's boy movie, you have to have a good crush. And I am going to say that they chose so wisely on the act in this film because she was one of the earliest crushes that I remember that wasn't named Gadget. No, but this crush who's named Becky in the movie. Her real name is uh, Colombe Jacobson and I best know her as Julie the Cat Gaffney from D2, The Mighty Ducks and Mighty Ducks 3. And for her, she held a special place in my heart because I was a hockey goalie and she was a hockey goalie and she was really fucking cute. And it was just like, <laughs> damn, I am still... I I am still bitter to this day that Coach Bombay did not always start Julie the Cat in D2. He started Goldberg, that fat, fucking terrible goalie, over Julie the Cat. And she was awesome. (laughs) She was so cool. (laughs) I didn't get it. But she, yeah, I loved her. Like, I I had a big old crush on her. Sounds like you still do. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) 
And and we get some other exposition around here about the boys are uh, working on a boat, and that's about it. We meet the crush, and we find out that the boys are working on a boat. But one line, this this one line of writing makes me so happy. They were talking about Becky and Henry's friend George. They're at lunch, and he sees her drinking some milk, and he gives I think a great line that probably isn't quoted as much, but it should. And he says, "She's that. Just look at her sipping that milk." Milk's done that body good. <laughs> Watching that in his adult, I'm like, damn, son. Yeah. Is that the way that we talked when we were younger? Probably. Yes, it was. <laughs> so that also just brought me back all my feelings about Julie the cat. And it was just like, yeah, I would have said the same thing. <laughs> Then there's a scene of this uh, douchey kid who also played baseball on the team that Henry did, and he was basically making fun of him for being a shitty player, and he has Henry try to catch this baseball, and he hits a ball way up into the air, and Henry, at this time, who sees Becky outside and wants to impress her, he wants to go try and catch the ball, reprove his manhood, I guess, Mm -hmm. because he sucked so bad at the baseball game earlier, and the greatest villain in this entire film is a fucking baseball on the ground. If you ever see a baseball on the ground in this movie, someone's going to fall on it and they are going to get fucked. Yep. (laughs) Because Henry slips on a baseball and breaks his arm in like a couple places. He has to put on this big ridiculous cast that has his arm up. I mean, I've I've broken many Benny Bones in my day. I understand that feeling of being in a cast. And yeah, they then kind of do a cute little montage of him in school days and in summer. They go in and out of the cast pretty quick. It's just like in a 30-second yeah. montage of he broke his arm. It's a cast. All right. Montage through that. And it's stuck in a position where it's constantly like at an angle, at a right angle straight up. And, you know, just sort of like him having to have his arm hanging out the window in the car, you know, and everyone's hands up and they all go down and his is still up because it has to be. It's a cute montage. There are just little comedic moments in there and they still played, honestly. Yeah. It's still funny, cute. I'm going to surprise you. It reminded me of an episode of Seinfeld. Okay. Well, I don't know why this is one of the few scenes that actually stuck with me because I don't particularly like watching Seinfeld. Because Yeah, exactly. That's not your jam. You, don't, you didn't even get my Cartwright joke. No. But it reminded me of like one of the few episodes I remembered where George follows this one guy who thinks that he flipped him off when he let him in. And so he follows this guy. Oh, and then yeah. it turns out that his hand is in a cast and his middle finger is permanently set up. And that was what it was. The two just sort of <laughs> made me think of each other. So we are taking the cast off. We're in the uh, the doctor's office. And his tendons have apparently healed too tight. And so Henry's arm, when it's put into this 90 degree position and he try, has to pull it forward, it like snaps super quick. He ends up like smacking the doctor in the face. And a fantastic line that the doctor said after he got hit. Good. And now rotate from the shoulder slowly. Oh! 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 Loving. Did he say funky butt loving? Oh. Best line ever. Probably the best line in this movie. Probably the one that I would I said as a kid. Yes. I think when most people think of this movie, they think of that line. Think of funky butt loving. Funky butt loving. <laughs> Okay. The mom. I want to talk about the mom just for a second. Because here, the next scene, she gives the kids tickets to the Cubs game as a get your cast off. 
celebration day but she really is one of the cooler 90s kid movie moms yeah i like her a lot and i think her performance and the character in general you know i guess stand at the test of time i guess for a little bit you know it's been 25 years since the movie but like she seems down to earth and pretty level-headed other than dating this douchey guy but i can also get that because maybe he has some money or something or that's not her fault right to an extent just yet because they've only been dating for about a few weeks or i think when we're introduced to him he comes in and has this really expensive necklace for their three-week anniversary yes exactly so i mean by by this point because there's a couple months he probably had to have the cast on so they've been dating for a few months now but other than that though the mom is just awesome she's got to be one of the top five kids movie moms yeah in my opinion she's cool because she's she's relaxed with the kids but not so relaxed that she seems like a bad mom she's a mom when she needs to be a mom but she's not so uptight to helicopter over i mean she gave the kids tickets to go to the game by themselves which I don't know that it would ever happen. That wouldn't happen now for sure. Yeah, that might be a little much for 12-year-old boys. Well, they also, it looks like they also lived in the city. So it'd be easier for them to get around and stuff like that, I, I'm guessing. I it's, and it's Chicago. Chicago has a much better transit system than the, where we grew up. Right. Yeah, for sure. And so the boys go to the game and we first meet Chet Stedman, who is a starting pitcher for the Cubbies. And I like that name, Chet Stedman. It's just a good... That's a man's name. It is. Yeah, Chet Stedman is a man's name. (laughs) God, I want to name my son Chet Stedman. (laughs) Could also be a porn name, so you might want to be careful there. It might be Chet Studman, because he's a stud. (laughs) We're here at the the game, and we get a little, little bit of a setup of one Stedman is really not a good pitcher right now in this point of his career. No. And he just keeps getting hammered like it's home run after home run yeah uh, there's a home run a little bit of a setup that this rather large trucker looking guy has to throw it back because you know baseball rules if a opposing team hits the ball as a home run you have to throw it back which i've been to plenty of baseball games and that was never a rule that i heard of that's only a wrigley field thing okay that's why that's the only field that that actually is a rule and that's not a rule it's an unwritten rule yeah but that's the only field where that's a tradition in because for me, I mean, if you get a home run ball, even for the other team, and it's such a rare thing, you keep that fucking ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's only a Wrigley Field thing. Okay. We also, in this scene of the of this baseball game, we meet the owner, Bob Carson. Played by Eddie Bracken. He looks so familiar, but I, I don't really, I don't know if I... He was in Home Alone 2, is probably what you remember him from. Oh, you know, oh, yes! He was the very rich guy. Yeah. The, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's definitely what I remember him from. And we meet his nephew, who's kind of like poised to take over the franchise, named Larry Fisher. Played by the guy, I don't I don't remember his name, but he was the villain in the Addams Family movie. And that's, all, that's kind of what I remember him from. His name is Dan Hedaya, and I, I always confused him with Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap. Oh, yeah. I always kind of confuse the two. For some reason, I always had it in my head, yeah, that's Dean Stockwell. No, it's it's Dan Hedaya, but they look similar enough that I always kind of confused them when I was younger. Yeah. They don't really establish why Fish, the nephew, is kind of like going to be taking over the team. I think my fan theory, I think it's a pretty good one, is Bob, the older guy, is obviously gets dementia. He's got hints of dementia. That guy yeah. is just, he is not all there. No, I agree. Yeah, he's just, he's acting like a child. It's, it's just a little bit ridiculous. Kind of no real sense of where everything kind of is in the world the way the world is yeah it it made me feel a little bit sad for him as a character i was just like oh man and there's a line later that we'll talk about where you really get a sense of he really doesn't know what's kind of going on in his all he cares about is the game which is admirable but an owner you want an owner who's passionate about the game 
But as a business person, you want someone, you know, who's going to make a profit because that's what a business model is. Yes. And who knows where he is at all times. Right. And yeah, what year it is. <laughs> and shit like that. So uh, here we get uh, another home run hit off Stedman and it's time to throw it back. And the boys get it. George doesn't want to do it. And he's like scared. So he hands it off to the other little friend who I can't even remember his damn name. He doesn't want to do it because he's scared. So he hands it to Henry. And Henry's like, all right, Henry will do it. The one thing I like about Henry pretty much throughout this movie as well is he always has confidence. Yeah. Like even when he sucks at stuff, he'll do his taunting things or he'll do other shit like that. He's always got some kind of confidence, which is nice to see. So he's going to throw the ball back and oh, those those tight heeled tendons are coming into use and he chucks the ball super fast from the home run bleachers all the way to home plate. I don't get, I never understood why, I guess maybe it's just reaction, but when the catcher catches it and then the guy who's rounding and coming in, he then slides and the ump calls him safe because it's... Right. It, once it's out of field of play, it's a fucking home run. Like, that's just how it goes. Right. Maybe it's, but maybe it's just reaction. He would have been safe regardless. Yes, exactly. It was a funny moment. A funny moment, exactly. So obviously everyone's freaked out about who the hell can throw that ball. And they find out it's a kid. Basically the Cubs uh, owner's nephew, Fish. He wants him. He wants to get him. We see some setup of uh, basically Jack the boyfriend and the mom see uh, Henry throwing the ball in the yard and how fast it is. And pretty much immediately... Jack, the boyfriend, just further sets up that he's just a sleazy 90s guy and he wants to exploit the kid for for money. Yeah, all he sees is dollar signs. The coach, played by Albert Hall, Coach Martinella, he comes to Henry's house and I have got to say, I can't go any further. I've talked about him like twice. I love the coach in this movie. <laughs> he, he has got to be one of my favorite baseball coaches. Yes. He's just silly. I mean, he's goofy in the best possible way. Yes, I love how he doesn't say Rowan Gardner's name right, like, pretty much ever. Only once he says it correctly, but he's... One time, yeah. He fucks up his name every <laughs> fucking time, and it's hilarious. I love that. <laughs> Hello, son. I'm looking for Henry Ruhlenfurter. Raffenboozer. Rosenbagger. Gardenhoser. Ruhlengroder. Hey, way to go, runner-mucker. Rowan Gardner, you're going in. What do you call me? <laughs> Basically, uh, so Henry signs with the Cubs, and uh, I'm just going to get a jump into we're kind of getting ready and going into the first game. Uh, so it's Henry's first day. He's getting ready to go into the player's entrance. A cute line of, You ready? Can't we just say goodbye here? No, I want to make sure you get in okay. None of the other Cub moms are going to be there. <laughs> it's cute. It's some cute writing. Like, this movie's got a healthy layer of cheese to it. Yeah. But it's good cheese. It's not bad cheese. Not so much that it really detracts from the story. Yeah, exactly. Here we get a completely unnecessary homage to the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> he comes into the, This came out of nowhere. Yeah. Okay, there was no other, like, pop culture references in this film. And then all of a sudden, I guess, you know, maybe it's just, like, the grand nature of him going into the, yeah, starting it. But when he goes into the player's entrance, it's it's exactly of when Dorothy is going into the, what, Emerald City or whatever the hell yeah, it is. Yeah, she's trying to enter Emerald City. So I, I didn't I didn't see the need for that, <laughs> but it was cute. Yeah. It's cute. <laughs> Why didn't you say so? Oh, that's a horse of a different color. Come on in! We get to the locker room, 
and we see Neil Flynn. Uh, like, I just it made me so happy. We got to talk about the janitor, Neil Flynn. Janitor. Who plays Oki, the first baseman in this film. I love seeing the janitor in anything he's in. I'm just make it makes me happy and be like, it just brings me to be like, oh, I'm so glad Neil Flynn was in this. <laughs> yes. I love a lot of the stuff that he's in. He's, he's so funny. And he, I forget what the sitcom is that he's been on recently. Uh, the middle. I've watched a couple episodes. I, I think he's really funny and I just, so much stuff to watch that I, I have to be picky as to what I'm. No, there is there's too much when it comes to sitcoms also i've heard blackish is really good and i want to give that a shot i want to watch the goldbergs i heard that's really good and then also the middle has has lasted for this long that it's got to be solid right there's got to be something there i think i've told you this story before but i saw neil flynn once when i was in la i was at the americana and uh, i forget who i was with and i live in las vegas i see some famous people from time to time i've gone to la a few times and just sort of seen you know famous people around and and you know it's it's cool it's sort of like novelty oh hey there you see it. but you don't really get worked up about it but, but first of all neil flynn is as tall as he looks his head was towering over the crowd because we were walking i was walking in a crowd and he walked by with i'm assuming was his wife and i've never done this but he walked by and then it clicked with my head who he was and I just sort of yelled, holy shit, it's the janitor. <laughs> I was rather embarrassed about that because I, I know that he was just walking around, just looking at shops with his wife, and, and all of a sudden I'm sure, he, I'm sure he heard it. But he probably was used to it at that point. Yeah. To me, Scrubs is one of the best sitcoms I think ever made. The only reason I wouldn't put it number one was the later seasons. They should have cut it off at around season seven or eight, probably. I think for me, it was season, at the end of season seven, it should have been done. Kelso kind of was retired, but still stayed around and other stuff. Um, yeah, like seasons eight and nine just are a big drop off. But like yeah. those first seven seasons, I will rewatch all the time. I'm a big fan as well. The only other sitcom I think was better from start to finish was uh, How I Met Your Mother. I I really like How I Met Your Mother until the last season. Again, like the last season really pissed me off. And I rewatched How I Met Your Mother not too long ago. This is a this is a long sitcom diatribe, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is good. But I feel like the I've seen the whole entire show maybe t- twice at at least maybe three times all the way through. I feel like each time I watch another episode or each time I rewatch another one, it gets a little bit not as good. Okay. Where some other series like Seinfeld gets even better or it's as or at least stays as good. But I mean, that's valid. Yeah, I guess you're allowed to your own opinion, John. It's because it's right. That tangent was brought to you by Neil Flynn. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's bring it back to Rookie of the Year because we've got another fun character that we meet in this locker room, and that's Brickma, uh. who is the pitching coach. He is played by the director and fantastic kind of sidekick actor Daniel Stern. Brickma is the character that like you loved as a kid. Yes, you know for sure. And you probably he was probably like one of your favorite characters as a kid. And he's still he's a bit ridiculous uh, rewatching it now as I'm much older, but he's still funny. Daniel Stern has some like some physical acting in comedy. He's he's almost, in this movie. I feel like he kind of channeled his inner Kramer like a little <laughs> bit. I think he pulled from that for this Brickma character. Uh-huh. It, and he's just he's funny as hell. Yeah, the way he physically delivers his lines, just sort of the mannerisms, the way he, his head bounces around, the way he talks. It's funny, the second you meet him and heard him talk, your first thought is, how is this guy the pitching coach? 
Yeah. <laughs> How is he not anything but the mascot? They kind of very quickly gloss over that by the coach saying he sent him down to the minors, but he's been following him around anyway. Like basically, like they just can't get rid of him. Yeah. And that's and that's about it. But you know, I mean, this is a, a billion dollar organization that <laughs> apparently is just like they'll take whatever they can get. Right. They're that bad right now. In the locker room scene, there's one more thing I want to bring up is it ends with basically penis envy. <laughs> They have to dress out and Henry like looks to the left and looks to the right and sees basically these guys uh, in their underwear and their big penises. And he looks at himself and he gets insecure. And so he has to wait till they all leave and he then he gets dressed out. I didn't need that scene, but uh, whatever. I remembered it being funny when I was a kid, but now I'm like, yeah, I, it really doesn't do anything. And now it just, and it just serves weirdly uncomfortable yeah exactly now it's just weirdly uncomfortable where you would think you know hey he's a 12 year old boy if they did this in real life he'd probably have his own separate dressing room or right or other stuff or it's just like you know when you when you dress out it, for sports it, you don't think about that kind of stuff it doesn't matter it happens Every, everybody does that right but i guess it's partly because he's a kid and he's intimidated by the all the schlongs of other <laughs> professional baseball players so we're getting into the game. Basically, I'm just going to set up that Henry is our closer. He's a relief pitcher, and specifically, he is the closer of the team, mm-hmm. which is typically what you would do with a person who can throw 100 miles an hour. Yes. You know, the game's going on. It's a sold-out crowd, and I think Stedman was pitching or somebody. They want to put the kid in. Get some other just funny stuff of Brickma's being Brickma and like he's his signals that he like gives doing all this crazy shit, and it's his baseball signals, which kind of makes fun of. I mean, if you've ever seen a baseball game and you see like the coaches do something on the, the sidelines to, to signal the, a player to do something and they look ridiculous yeah. and Brickman just kind of takes it to another level. Right. So they send in Henry. Which is weird because you kind of know he's the closer but at the same time it doesn't seem like the game had been going on for that long. They really jump forward. Massive jump forward because yeah we went from the locker room to probably like the, the ninth well I guess it had to be the ninth inning. Right. And apparently the Cubs were ahead which we didn't know. They didn't establish that at all. Right. So they put him in and his first three pitches are pretty awesome. His, his first one, we get a home run just clobbered off of him by this big, grueling guy named Hito, who comes back later. He looked like, honestly, I thought he was like John Cruck when I was a kid. That's my thought, too. I thought he was John Cruck. Yeah, because for the longest time, I just thought he was like a real baseball player. I was like, oh, that looks like John Cruck. That must be him. Uh, but it's not. It's just some actor who really hasn't done much else. But I like him in this role. He's <laughs> he's good. He's a big, good, angry guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he knocks off the very first pitch, clobbers Henry's fast Fastball, which actually comes back. So he's apparently a really good fastball hitter, but he's not a good hitter for anything else. Yes. Sounds like someone we've seen in another baseball movie. Bats. The RC. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. Bats are afraid. She's tough not to move. Look, I go to you. I stick up for you. You know, help me now. So fuck you, Jobu. I do it myself. Oh, yeah, that is. Yes, that is. That's very much true. Right after the home run, Henry then plunks a guy, not on purpose, but we get a hit by a pitch from the next batter up. Then we get a crazy wild pitch. So the first three pitches are insane. But luckily on that wild pitch, the catcher makes a great throw to third and they tag out the runner. Cool. The team bailed him out. Afterwards, in the locker room, to me, this is my most quoted line in the film is when Brickma is trying to talk about recuperation. And he's talking about the three R's. Key to being a big league pitcher is the three R's. Readiness, recuperation, and conditioning. You see, after the game, a lot of guys like to ice up their arm. Still other fellas think that heat is the way to go. 
but I have discovered the secret, Henry. Hot ice. That's right. Hot ice. I heat up the ice cubes. It's the best of both worlds. I love that line. It, that was probably always been my my favorite line in this film. But also, people really made that shit. They made Icy Hot. <laughs> like it's, it's a legitimate thing. And so I don't know if Icy Hot had to pay Daniel Stern royalties, but I think they should have. For every tube of Icy Hot sold, he deserves money, in my opinion, because he invented it with Rookie of the Year. We're now back at school, apparently. Just some more of the subplots of, hey, here's the crush again. Hey, let's we're going to bring up the boat again. We get them going over and actually working on the boat and kind of we see how it is in progress, that kind of thing. Nothing crazy, just kind of like little sprinkles of, hey, this his regular life is still here too. Yeah, furthering his relationship with his friends. Yeah, that's pretty much all we get there. We're going back to baseball and we're at batting practice and another more physical comedy from, from <laughs> Daniel Stern where he's ridiculously doing batting practice as a pitching coach. It doesn't make any sense. Right. But silly and funny, he keeps trying to hit the ball and he keeps popping it straight up and then it plunks him on the head. A funny scene for a kid, a perfect a perfect scene for a kid, honestly. Yeah. It's completely unnecessary for me now, but it's still just what I do like about it. We keep getting those Brickma Daniel Stern moments, which they make me happy. Which two, I kind of took two things away from that little scene. One was you watch the players in the back who are obviously allowing this to happen for their entertainment because they know something funny is about to happen. And I have to say, I was kind of impressed that Brickma actually made contact yeah. at all. Yeah. And consistently, <laughs> he consistently made contact. He just, uh, he couldn't control <laughs> where that contact went. Jump to another, a new game. There's not a lot of, really not a lot of baseball in, in this movie. We, we skip a lot of baseball in this film, which is fine because the movie is about the closer. So we jump straight to the end of the of the game each time. Yeah. Uh, Henry goes back in and he's still nervous. He hasn't quite calmed himself. And this is his second game in another, again, he plunks another guy on accident. So it's another hit by a pitch. And so the coach wisely realizing that the pitching coach may not be the best choice to really talk to Henry. Instead, he wants a good experienced older pitcher, Chet Stedman, with a great porn name, uh, <laughs> to go in and talk to the kid to calm him down. He gives him some kind of half-baked, made-up advice of the have-tos. What are you doing out here? Well, what am I supposed to do? Deal from your have-to. My, 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 my what? what are you, the have-to. Are you, are you speaking English? The have-to is what you use when you're afraid. Okay. Okay, you got it? Listen to me. Okay. Everybody is half win and half lose. Okay. The lose half is afraid. Right. The winning half is fearless. Fearless. Right. The have to is inside. It's where the fear lives. Oh, okay. Okay. Could you start over again? Oh. Let's play ball. It's just kind of silly, but it, it ends up getting into a double play and them getting out of the game. From there, basically, we just get the confidence. Henry is starting starting to get his groove now. Yeah. He gets his first strikeout, and he gets the, the game saved. So he's feeling good now. Right after this game, his friends stayed around and, I guess, watched it, and they're, they're playing in Wrigley Field late, just kind of like... A pretend game of baseball. If I was the field manager at Wrigley Field, I would never would have allowed that. No. Uh, <laughs> but what's good about this scene is Chet Stedman is talking to the mom, and we're kind of now establishing possibly a new father figure. He just gave him some advice, and now he's chatting with the mom. Uh-huh. Possible. Here's a little bit of a, is this a love interest thing that might happen? A rival for Jack. Yes, a rival for Jack, that douche turd Jack. So now we're, we've got a, a stretch of away games coming. Uh, Henry's got to leave town, basically. So everyone else is, is sticking around, but he's got to go with the team. We go into the hotel and just another Brickma scene of him just being ridiculous. He's in a hotel room side by side 
with Henry. And they've got one of those double door things that you can kind of connect them. And he gets stuck in between the doors. Yeah. Which is, you could tell in one shot that there was no room really between the doors. And then all of a sudden there was room. Right. As he stepped into one of them. Then the doors shut behind him and he got, he was stuck there for at least an entire game, if not and longer. I've seen those. There's no way for a person to really fit yeah. in between those doors. But no. it made for, <laughs> and it's completely within the character of Brickma. And it worked for the scene. So I, I'll, I'll allow the suspension of reality for that. It was funny, exactly. It just fit with Brickman. It was good. We get into the game. What's special about this game is that they were using Henry for multiple innings because I guess after the end of the eighth, the Cubs are batting because they're away. And apparently in the rotation, they've got to get him batting because they're in the National League which is the better league. Agreed. And pitchers hit in the better league. Yes. As it should. Everyone should hit. <laughs> but we get, it's just a funny scene of him scared as all hell while he's in the batter's box and his mom is watching on TV and she's scared and everybody pretty much almost cursing and just freaking out. Um, and he gets walked because he's tiny and he has no... has no strike zone. Yeah. Here we get probably some of the lines that are maybe the most quoted if you're a kid. Like when, you, when you're a child, you get some of these lines, particularly of when he is on base and he's taunting the pitcher. For a professional baseball player, he should be thrown out of the game for unsportsmanlike conduct because he's being a little shit. He probably would be in an actual baseball game. Particularly the line that I'm talking about that me as a kid or any of the other kids out there who watch this is... Pitcher, 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 pitcher! Pitcher's got a big butt. Pitcher's got a big butt. Pitcher's got a big butt. He's a little asshole. <laughs> it's funny. You know, he's kind of rounding the bases. He makes a wild pitch basically happen, and he gets to second. From here, uh, the next batter up, he gets hit by the pitch, which the pitcher turns to Henry and says, that's for you, you little fucker, basically. Right. The very next batter up hits a single into the outfield, and Henry and the guy who's on first have to round the bases. And it's just a, it's a funny, cute scene of the guy almost passing him, which you can't do in baseball, yeah. obviously. Uh, you can't. One person who's behind the other cannot pass the, the runners. And so it's just funny. They both have to round it and make it all the way to home, and they do. He's shouting for him to go, go, go. Exactly. And he's running as fast as he can because he's a freaking 12-year-old boy. And he, <laughs> he can't run very fast. But yeah, it's cute. And here we get kind of a, another montage of just like the away games after this game and just kind of Henry is getting into his groove. We see three people who are credited as big whiffers in this montage of Henry's doing his strikeouts and they're doing really well. And the three hitters are legitimate baseball players that they got for cameos. In order, it's Bobby Bonilla, Pedro Guerrero, and then the last one who gets struck out is Barry Bonds, who was a very unroided Barry Bonds. He looked natural. Yes. It was really nice to see. It was very much the the Pirates Barry Bond, the sort of slim... I miss that Barry Bonds. But unfortunately, in my memory, is the roided out freak Hulk Barry Bonds. Yeah. Not that I disliked Barry Bonds, but I was never really a fan. Mostly because... I don't know if this is still the case for you, but I'm still a very large Atlanta Braves fan, given that we grew up in Atlanta. Yeah, I'm not as big as you, but if I had to have a team, like they're, they're definitely who I root right. for. I, I own a Braves shirt. I own a Braves hat. Like, you know, if they're in town in L.A., I, I might go see the game. Right. But I still sort of remember the, the early 90s days. Actually, it was around this time. It was the around 91, 92, 93, where the Braves were often playing the Pirates for the National League title. So I was I was always never a fan of any team we were playing against. And there was that 
very famous, well, famous for us, game, I believe it was against the Pirates, where the slowest member on the Braves team, the first baseman, Sid Bream, was at second base. It was hit into the outfield by Francisco Cabrera. Yeah. And Sid Bream had to round third to run home, and he was safe. It's sort of like this miraculous thing, because he was literally clocked as the slowest member of the Braves. (laughs) And he was just running for his life. No, I, I have seen clips of that, definitely. I remember seeing it live. I remember us watching it. I remember we were at our home in the unfortunately named town of Cumming, Georgia. <laughs> yeah, such a, such, oh my God. And we were watching the game on TV. And I remember that because we went nuts. Particularly growing up in the Atlanta area in the 90s, you could not not be a Braves fan. Yeah. They were so huge. I mean, they were the team. I mean, they were dubbed the team of the 90s. I don't know about you. That will really come across in our fantasy casting, (laughs) for me at least. A little bit, yeah. Reeling it back into Rookie of the Year. The away stretch of games is over. We're back into town. We're now in like a, a limo with... Henry and Stedman and the mom. Just kind of another little like setup scene that Henry is trying to like, he's trying to set them up kind of. Yeah. He's pushing this relationship over the Jack relationship. I mean, he already idolized Stedman. Yes. So, I mean, who wouldn't want, if your mom was single, you'd be like, hey, my idol could be my dad. How awesome would that be? Yeah. We're now at a scene, it's a party scene. They're really an, almost an unnecessary scene. But uh, other than it just kind of keeps furthering the Stedman and mom relationship. And here Jack is there. The boyfriend is there and you see him getting jealous. And here's where he's kind of like, Jack is starting to kind of show his manipulation and just show that he is one of the main villains in this film. He ends up making a deal with Fish, who's the nephew of the owner, to sell Henry to the New York Yankees. And at the same time to basically end Chet Stedman's career because he's angry with him for dancing with his woman. Which actually is something a baseball team would do. If you're at the bottom of the heap and you have a really good player, you'll probably sell them off to get as much money as you can. We get... This Pepsi commercial scene where basically it just culminates in Henry is late to working on the boat with his friends. You know, we haven't seen them in a little bit. And this kind of just comes back to, okay, his normal life and particularly his friendships and his close buddies, those relationships are getting stretched and being hindered by Henry's baseball career and his endorsements. But him and his friend George end up fighting, basically wrestling on the ground. They're angry at each other. Right now, we're kind of like down in the dump stage. Everything's going well with his career, but little does he know he was sold to the Yankees and now his personal relationships are in the gutter. Yep. So this is this is the bottom portion of our hero's journey and he's got to rise his way back up to the top. The nephew Fisher basically ends up letting Stedman know that he's going to be released at the end of the season and that he's going to sit on the bench for the rest of the, this year. It just really demoralizes Chet Stedman. I love that name, Chet Stedman. <laughs> Jack, the douche boyfriend. We see him being more of a dick. This guy, I am really happy what happens with the mom here in this scene. Yes. He is basically telling Henry that they're going to New York. They're at their home. They're at the mom's home and, and Henry's home. There's this the classic great line. Don't you walk away from me when I'm talking to you. You show me some respect. You're not my father. You're not my father. <laughs> and it's so good. Whenever you have those moments in film, they make the cheesiest part of my heart really happy. But he just flips out and he goes crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, this, to me, this is like mad overacting at this point. Henry's been sold to the Yankees. He sold me? You can't do that. Of course I can. I'm the manager. I make the decisions. He is my 
Stop! He's my client! Jack is just kind of going nuts and like on a power trip, but it ends with the mom punching him and ending that relationship as well as basically firing him as the manager. Right. You'd think that Jack would have realized that managers can be fired. Right. <laughs> right. It's not a permanent position. Yeah. But here we finally get the story of the dad. After this kind of emotional moment, she finally tells Henry about his father, who apparently left when she was pregnant. Which, funny enough, Henry already knew this story. Apparently the grandmother told him when he was a kid. And basically he was just allowing his mom to tell him good stories because... He knew that it made her happy. A cute little mother-son scene, and it worked well. But now here we're kind of like tying up some things, and Henry goes back to his friends, and now he's mending that relationship. So now we're kind of seeing Henry's on the rise again, so he's got rid of that douche turd Jack from his life, and now he's kind of getting his friends back, and we have a fun little montage scene of them out on the boat uh, with a cutest cheesy song that they were playing and they pick up the girls and they're just kind of like doing a little montage on the lake with the boat. And basically after this scene, Henry realizes that he's not going to play baseball after this season. Yeah. He's going to finish up the season and he wants to return to his normal life. So now we are in the last game of the season, and if the Cubs win, they make the playoffs. And the coach decides to start Chet Stedman to give a fuck you to upper management. Right. Really was unnecessary. They could have cut that little storyline fully, in my opinion. And another brickma scene of him getting trapped into a cage. <laughs> More funny physical Daniel Stern. Yeah. The Cubs are doing well, apparently. We're kind of, obviously, we're cutting towards, you know, I think six or seven innings into the game. Chet Stedman's shoulder is starting to go. It's getting bad, John. It's getting real bad. We get a, we get a really good dramatic out with Chet Stedman. He gets his hero moment which is kind of nice. Yeah. He's been a past his prime pitcher this entire time, but here he gets his final hero moment where his arm is gone and it's shot and it's just super dramatic where he has to get the last out and he can't throw the ball and he has to kind of like outrun the guy to home to save the game. To tag him out, yeah. To, to keep the lead. And in this dramatic moment, he does right before the guy gets to home plate. So at the end of this inning, he gets that third out and the Cubs still have their lead. Way to go, Chet. You did a good job. Actually, what I thought was a nice little sort of poignant scene where he goes back to the dugout and uh, tells the manager I'm done and the manager says I'm saving you for playoffs and he goes no I'm done and the manager just kind of goes you're gonna let me finish the season before you take my job right and just, <laughs> well, which it, I mean it's kind of funny but it's it's that one sort of it's the one moment where Martinella kind of becomes serious I mean it's not that he's being funny or trying to be funny it's just that the way his mannerisms making him funny but it's the one time where he becomes super sort of serious and, and really poignant and I I've always kind of liked that little moment between them. You, you could tell that there was always a good bit of respect between the two of them, but here it really, really shines through. And the, here's where it kind of really comes to a head of the, the, those two. You can tell that they've probably been together for a while and they really do respect each other. And obviously, Stedman is a veteran player, which means he's had some amazing years. You know, he probably had some amazing years behind him and he just, you know, he's at the end of his rope, which ha unfortunately happens a lot in baseball. I mean, as you get older, you just can't keep up with the younger people. So obviously, there's a lot of knowledge there. I don't know. I've just always liked that little scene. Even though it's a very short little moment, I thought it was a very poignant moment between the two of them. I agree. So they send in Henry. He strikes pretty much everybody out. We're up to the ninth inning now. You know, <laughs> let's speed this game along a little bit. And at the beginning of the ninth inning, he's running out to the mound and there's a ball on the ground. And this kid doesn't know how to fucking watch where he steps. <laughs> 
What an idiot. There's a bright white ball in the middle of the infield grass, <laughs> and he can't see it. He ends up slipping on this ball, you know, just like he did at the beginning of the film, and he tweaks his arm, and something's wrong, and we know it. Which I'm not entirely sure how that fall would loosen his tendons. Yeah, it would undo what was done. Yeah, I don't get that. I guess medical science is not this story. They didn't do much <laughs> actual research in that aspect. So he's he's scared as hell right now. He can't do the fastball. And so he ends up intentionally walking the first guy. He has to overcome losing his gift. And so he brings in the entire infield. And so now here we actually finally really get the team coming together as a team moment, like a team sport moment before it's been all Henry. Yeah. I mean, there's had some other moments they get, you know, a double play earlier and whatnot. But like here is like where you kind of finally see some of the other players and how they're helping it out. And so they come up with a plan. The first thing to get the guy who got intentionally walked is now Neil Flynn gets his hero moment (laughs) and just kind of gets to be really silly. They do the hidden ball trick, which apparently when they were all huddled together, uh, the first baseman, Oki, takes the ball, keeps it in his glove. And Henry fakes that he has it, you know, ready to pitch. Right. And so obviously the guy who was on first starts leading off and then the first baseman gets them. Yep. Which actually has happened. There's, It's really cool. People who have pulled off the hidden ball trick, it's really fun to see clips of that. Yeah. This next out is by far my least favorite out in the entire fucking yeah, movie. Yeah, mine too. It is so annoying. It's like they just wrote it in for the kids and that's it, you know? <laughs> so they do another unintentional walk and they get the guy on first. They can't try the hidden ball trick this time. Instead, what they do is they taunt him and they they kind of bully this guy <laughs> into running. Uh, they call him Chicken. Everybody's calling him Chicken. Neil Flynn has a fantastic chicken bock. I, I just always liked the way he did it. But instead, they basically taunt him into trying to steal second while Henry still has the ball, which no professional baseball player would have fallen for this ever. No. Like, that is just ridiculous. So they, they get him out. There's problems there, too, because there's there's really, there's no way that kid would have outrun that guy. No. Well, I don't know why he still didn't just throw the ball to second. I know. Yeah, he doesn't have this fast pitch, but he can still throw it. Right. They show that. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my most frustrating out in the entire movie. So now we have the last out of the game that Henry's got to get. And who comes up to bat? But the guy who hit a home run off of his very first first major league pitch hito the john crucky looking motherfucker <laughs> who i yeah, I, lo- I just i do like him he has a he has a perfect he makes a great sports villain here it comes back that the guy can hit a fastball and nothing else because the first pitch they call it a changeup and it gets him swinging badly or maybe he's also expecting the fastball. yeah they're expecting the fastball and henry gets him with the the quote-unquote changeup the next one hito is ready for it and he clocks it yeah but it goes foul Whew. Gotta add some drama. That adds some drama. And then here's a little bit more drama. Right before the third pitch, Henry realizes he pulls open this tape that's been in his glove the entire time. And guess what? His dad didn't play baseball. It was his mom. <laughs> Ta-da! His mom's name was on, was on the glove. Oh my God. There's this connection moment. And she gives him the last piece of advice. And she says, Float it. Which we didn't really talk about, but it happens earlier in the movie where she has to toss something to him. A couple times. And she throws it underhand, but backwards. It's not with your palm facing forwards, with your palm facing backwards. She throws something to him and he catches it and Brickman goes, hey, the floater. I haven't seen that since Scruffy McGee or something like that. They set up that, you know, she's floating him and throwing him this sunblock a couple times. Yeah. And so they set that up here. So it's not out of nowhere. Right. So Henry, who has no arm, and if he throws regularly, he's going to get destroyed 
Boyd with a home run right now. We know this. And so he's going to float it. And we get a dramatic you know, moment where he's floating the ball. And this is probably my my second least favorite out in the entire <laughs> series, entire movie, because I find this part to be probably the most improbable thing where a professional baseball player, he swings terribly and misses a floater. I will believe that this kid, his tendons you know, snap and he gets signed by the Cubs and because they healed and he can do all this throw. I will believe all of that before I believe that this guy can't hit a damn float ball. Well, Adam, there is a pitch in baseball called the EFIS pitch. And it is basically, it's a regular, it's regularly thrown pitch, but it's literally like a floater. It's a high rounded, just lobber. Uh-huh. And it seldom works. <laughs> yeah. But it has been used successfully, and it's it's sort of meant to be used as like an extreme changeup, where you're trying to change the eye line of the batter. I've never seen one thrown live. I've only ever seen videos of people throwing an EFIS pitch, but it has happened. It is not beyond the realm of possibility. Okay. But given the fact that this kid has thrown two slow changeups to him already, I don't believe that he would have missed the third one. Also, it was so high, I really don't believe he even would have swung at it. I think he literally just would have let it hit, and it would have probably been a ball, and he would have just waited for the next one. Yeah, the angle, it probably would have just dropped right on the plate, and that would have been a ball. Right. <laughs> but for some reason, I want—I do want to bring up one particular shot in that whole little sequence of the floater pitch, and it's when Hito... <laughs> is it the tongue? ...sees the ball, and he is, like, hungry for it, and he sticks out his tongue. That shot, when he's, like, sticking his tongue out, like, kind of, like, going crazy all over his mouth... Yeah. That one, I always have, like, been has been burned in my head. <laughs> I just remember that job. It's creepy looking. It is, but it's it's good. It just kind of enhances that he's a good sports villain. So he strikes him out. They're going to playoffs. And then we cut to Henry playing Little League again. I guess all that gets gets skipped over. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing Little League. And then, and then we really end the movie with... We see Chet Stedman is coaching Little League, which we can infer he, maybe he's probably dating the mom now, which they, they don't actually wrap that up, and that's fine. I don't really need that. You can just keep that as inferred, and, and you're assuming that that's happening. Yeah. We get a freeze frame of Henry at the end who saved the day with his game, uh, and he has a World Series championship ring on. At the time, was wishful thinking. Yes, very wishful thinking. They needed uh, 24 more years for that to happen. After the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, he tweeted that picture. Oh, yeah, that's funny. So, yeah, so we skipped the entire playoffs. Apparently, the Cubs won, which I find interesting because they didn't have their closer and they didn't have their experienced guy, Stedman. Yep. But anyway, so we end on that. My quick thoughts are I definitely really, really enjoyed this movie as a kid because we were baseball fans and we played baseball and it tied in. It was kind of it's a it's a four boys movie, really. I mean, a four and particularly four sports playing boys movie. And for me, I was smiling when I was rewatching this. Yeah, I really enjoyed enjoyed it it was cute it had a right amount of cheese like there's plenty of moments that you know that i can rip on for it being too childlike but that's that's fine it's it's a kid's movie honestly it held up pretty damn good i, I it held up more better than i thought because i was a little afraid coming into this movie that this was going to be too bad and just the spots that i remembered like brickamo was going to be too over the top and too stupid and he was stupid but it was funny still yeah the coach i i loved the coach he was awesome now just he's, he's ridiculous everything the relationships that they set up with steadman all of that it was a solid fun movie and i and i would recommend if you were a fan of this one as a kid go back and rewatch it because it holds up pretty good yeah i completely agree i had the same thought i was worried that it wasn't going to hold up
up when I watched it, was pleasantly surprised when I got all the way through, still loving it from beginning to end. Like any movie has a couple of slow moments and a couple of just over cheesy stuff, but I pretty much have have the exact same reaction as you did. I still loved it. I think anyone who's ever watched it will still love it as an adult. And you know what? Funky butt loving aside, show it to your kids. Now we're going to talk about the kids' sports show Guts that ran from 1992 to 1995. It starred Mike O'Malley and Mo. Her full name is Moira Quirk. And basically this show was pretty much exactly American Gladiators for kids. Yeah. Except you didn't have, it was just like a obstacle coursey kind of stuff where they battled each other. You didn't have like the gladiators, but you had like just those obstacle courses, that kind of stuff. And the kids had to do them and then they get points and then you end up, every episode would end with the aggro crag, which you would get the most points for. And however many points you got at the end, you know, you would either get first, second or third place. And probably the coolest thing about Guts is at the end, if you were in first place, you got a piece of the aggro crag, which was just this big ass rock, fake rock. And you could like taunt that forever. Actually, a guy that I played rugby with at UGA, he was on Guts. And he won and had a piece of the acro crag. <laughs> so this show yeah, only lasted a few seasons. And one of the funnier things that I always remembered was... The first season, it was the aggro crag. And then the next season, it was the mega crag. And then the next season after that, it was the super aggro crag. Like, they kept, like, adding in, making it <laughs> more ridiculous and more, like, intense every year. Yeah. The show itself is very 90s. Like, the graphics are super 90s. Everything about it is super 90s. Also, very boring. I have to say, watching this again... The show was so repetitive and redundant. Yeah. And it lacked a lot of flair. We're somewhere in where we already talked about American Gladiators. And American Gladiators was a blast. Mm-hmm. And that was a very 90s show and also very repetitive because the same kind of thing every time. But this show just literally the production value was significantly lower. Right. And it didn't have any of the good flair that American Gladiators had. Honestly, I came in expecting to like, you know, knowing how much I enjoyed American Gladiators, like I've gone back and I have rewatched every American Gladiators show that is on Hulu, including the 2008 entire run. Right. Just because like that show that show made me so happy. Uh, and, and so I was expecting a little bit of that here with Guts, but it's not. I mean, shit, it was just really, really boring. And I remember thinking like as a kid the aggro crag was like the super cool ass thing it's not it's just like a little fucking hill that you run back and forth and hit lights and get to the top it's not like this cool ass ending obstacle course like the eliminator in uh american gladiators right it was just like a it was a, it was a dumb ramp yeah it was just a set of ramps and lights <laughs> You know, I actually didn't remember this show until I went to watch it again. Then it kind of came back to me. It's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember the show. It was sort of like a sucky double dare. Yeah. <laughs> as far as kids stuff goes. Yeah. I mean, they they had these, yeah, they're different obstacles. And, and none of them were as nearly as memorable. No. Other than the aggro crag. Yeah. No, I watched I watched a couple episodes and it was, it was I had this sort of same feeling. At first, I kind of was watching it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. It's sort of a nostalgic feeling came back. And. And then I quickly lost attention and started doing something else. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be watching this. And I, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't keep my attention because it really is kind of slow and boring. And, and I mean, the kids are trying their hardest, but it's 
they just can't do things as quickly or as well as everything else because there's I remember watching one particular event where they're like on a bungee cord and they have like a nerf bow and arrow or something yeah 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 and they have to shoot it onto this like velcro thing for it for it to stick and none of them were doing very well like at best one of them got two out of the whole thing and like because they <laughs> like they had people there who were sort of like supposed to be helping them like like do the course and they obviously weren't were not helping them at all because these kids were like they couldn't time the jump from when they should be shooting and it was it was just kind of it was almost sad to watch it lacked a lot of coordination and because they're kids and because we were sports kids like i always wanted to be on that show and i wanted to do yeah. it and now i kind of also would want would have wanted to be on that show because like i, I feel like i could have been better than those dumbass kids that were on there because most of them sucked of course everyone thinks that you know hindsight is always 2020 and you think oh yeah i could have done that until you get there yeah <laughs> uh something that bothered me in rewatching this is the point system that they had so they had a point system that was if you get first place you get 300 points second place 200 points third place 100 points for every event right. for the four events and leading up to the aggro crag and the aggro crag was worth a fuck ton of points. Mm-hmm. So basically, really all it came down to was the last event. If you won the aggro crag, there was a high chance that you were just going to win the entire thing. Right. Basically, if you got last place in everything and then some person got first place in everything and then you won the aggro crag. No, actually, they would still they would still beat you because if in third place on the aggro crag, they would still have enough points to, to beat you. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, there was no way of coming back. Like, basically, it's, it's all about the aggro crag. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, it wasn't nearly as impressive as it's like I thought the other things they had to do were harder than the actual aggro crag. Yeah. I mean, the aggro crag, yeah, literally is just you're going up ramps. Making sure you hit all the lights. That's that was it. Yeah. In my head, it was something grander and it was something more cool and more of an actual obstacle course to get up there. But it's really not. Yeah. So the guts show. It started off yeah as regular guts and then they eventually changed it to global guts to where it wasn't just like local American kids. They had like different kids from all around different countries. Right. They kind of like tied it in with the Olympics style kind of thing, but just using their own silly events. Which is fine. I mean, I like that. But yeah, I did enjoy the show as a kid. And I, you know, it's, it's probably because you can put yourself in your shoes. Like, much like now, I can still rewatch American Gladiators because I'm be like, man, I want to do some of those events. I would pay so much money <laughs> to, to do Assault in real life uh, or some other stuff. I do want to say one of the things that really, really bothered me, as adorable and nice as Mo was, who was the referee, she has a fantastic British accent. And so that made her even more adorable. Mo! Mike, each player will have 30 seconds to try and score as many baskets as possible while the other two players try to reject their shot. The player with the most baskets wins. She was so useless <laughs> on this fucking show. Absolutely worthless. Because Mike O'Malley, every time they did an event, every single time someone did something, he's like, all right, let's go to Mo for the official. And she would only ever say the shit that we just saw on like a graphic. Right. Like, we would see the time, and if, if you had eyes, you could tell already what the hell had happened and she just was repeating exactly what you just saw there was no reason for her because she wasn't actually like any kind of doing any refereeing all she was doing was saying who won and who didn't win and what time they got and we saw that and we just saw that (laughs) every time I just saw that person doing that exact thing at that exact time and I know who's in first or second and she's just telling me the exact same thing every single time after a person that was so annoying And I have nothing else to say about this show. <laughs> like, <laughs> Honestly, I don't really either. Mostly, it was bad. I mean, not enough that I want to rant about it. Oh, oh, I do. Sorry, I have one more thing to say. Okay. This is the one good thing about this show. 
is the theme song. And I still really like the theme song. It's just, it's silly. It's fun. Guts do you have it? (laughs) It's catchy. It's cute. You know, I could re-listen to that and just kind of get that nostalgia factor. And we've talked about this, I think, with other shows. Just leave it in your nostalgia. Just listen to the theme song. Try and think that it's fun. But what else is there to say about Guts? That was pretty much it. So this is probably our fastest TV <laughs> TV review, but honestly, people stay the fuck away from this show. Yeah. Just keep it in your head. If you can find a good quality video of it, maybe your kids would enjoy it, but you as an adult won't enjoy it. If they're sporty kids, they I could see them enjoying the show. That's pretty much it. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by Big League Chew. You're in the big league when you make a perfect fire. You're in the big league when you keep the dream alive. You're in the big league when you pluck a start or two. You're in the big league when the big league chew. Big League Chew, man-sized wads of great-tasting shredded bubble gum stuffed into a giant stay-fresh pouch. For Big League flavor and Big League bubbles, it's Big League Chew. You're in the big league. All right, and now we're going to do our fantasy casting portion of the show, and this is actually more like in traditional fantasy casting or more like a sort of a a fantasy draft, if you will, because we are actually drafting our ultimate baseball team using players from all points in history, but they had to be real players. And we're not doing what we think is like the best player. We're doing our favorite, right? That's what I picked anyway, was my favorite player of all times in each position. Uh, it's sort of. I kind of went for if I was okay. going to draft what I thought was going to be the best team. Oh, okay, so <laughs> I went with my favorite team. I went with every position I picked my favorite. So I didn't go with who is the best of all time. I went with who I love. If I went with my favorite, I would say 90% of my team would be Braves players. <laughs> And that's exactly what I have. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's fine. They'll get two perspectives then. So yeah, we're going to draft our own sort of baseball teams. We're just going to stick with one person per position. We're not going to do like a whole pitching roster. We're just going to do one starting pitcher. Not even going to do a closer. Um, We're not going to do any kind of bench positions. Yeah. We don't do any designated hitters in this fucking league. And assuming everything is National League because that's the best league. (laughs) I'm going to do this in position order. If you don't know anything about baseball, um, each position is assigned a number. And it was originally created to be able to keep track of a game on paper easier. If you ever listen to a game and you hear play happen and you hear the announcers go, well, that was a 5-4-3 double play, they're calling the position numbers. So this is the order we're going to go in. Number one position is the pitcher. The number two position is the catcher. The three position is first base. The four position is second base. The five position is third base. And the sixth position is shortstop. So it doesn't quite go exactly around counterclockwise on the field. It goes first, second, third, then shortstop. Seventh position is left field, eighth position is center field, and ninth position is right field. So I'm just going to go straight down that order. Okay. We did, and we did a manager as well, right? Uh, I didn't, but I can come up with one. Okay. Yeah. I picked, I picked like my favorite manager to, to, for who would manage this team as well. Okay. I imagine that, uh, that might be the same person, uh, cause <laughs> that one is going to be my favorite manager. Well then let's just, let's just get it out of the way then. You want to say it together? Three, two, one. Bobby, Bobby Cox. Cox. <laughs> oh, exactly. yeah. Exactly. 
Bobby Cox, our favorite manager, holds the record for being thrown out of the most games. Yeah. <laughs> It was so much fun to watch that. I know. He was a baseball player. He wasn't even particularly like a an overly great baseball player, but was an amazing manager. Led the Atlanta Braves through their 13 straight division titles. Still a record. He's ridiculous. He was kind of like an old grumpy man. Yeah. That's kind of what I remember him as. as. <laughs> but I have so much respect for him. The only funny thing is... I I do find this funny that baseball is like the only sport where the manager wears the same uniform as the team. Yes. And like old Bobby Cox, who has a very unfortunate body. (laughs) It's like... In those baseball pants and that kind of stuff, I always thought re- was ridiculous. Where every other coach, like in every other sport, wears a nice suit right. or like looks good. But in baseball, you, you, wear, you wear the same shit and it just, it's just kind of fun. Well, and it was always funny to watch Bobby Cox walk out to the mound because he didn't really walk. He sort of waddles. Yes. <laughs> the, the history of that is that in olden times, the manager was actually one of the players. So one of the players would actually manage the team. And that's kind of where that tradition sprung from. All right, let's start with our number one position, our starting pitcher. Would you like to start, or do you want me to go first? I'll start. Okay. Um, I have a, I have a very good idea of who you're going to pick, Okay. Um, just because I know you. So I went with favorites, and for me, the vast majority, I'm just, just throwing it out there, are Braves and 90s, like 90s baseball players, not even all Braves, but like just 90s baseball players, because that's when I cared about baseball. Right. And so this is the team that I would want to see. 90% of my <laughs> players are all from the 90s era. And for a pitcher in the 90s who lasted well outside of the 90s, he was a Braves pitcher. He was not just a starting pitcher. He eventually became a closer, and he was fantastic in both positions, and he's a Hall of Famer. He is amazing. That's John Smoltz. One of my favorites. He is He is my favorite pitcher of all time. Yeah. He's amazing, and has, and has had a post-baseball career as an announcer. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's, uh, I believe he's now announced for the Braves, and actually has done some, some postseason work for other networks when they're doing the postseason and, and the the World Series and stuff like that. John Smoltz is just an amazing pitcher. His story is is amazing because he 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 started out as a really great starting pitcher. He was part of sort of like the big the big '90s Braves team with your Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, yeah. Steve Avery, John Smoltz. They were just they were unstoppable. Yeah, had some health problems and felt kind of you know fell off the wagon and and then kind of made a new name for himself as a closer and a fantastic closer and then went back to starting pitching, which is incredibly unheard of, and still did well. He's definitely someone who deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. I'd like to know who you think I'm going to pick. Oh, okay. So again, this is me thinking of who your favorite pitchers are, not who you might think is the best pitcher of all time. You you always kind of gravitated towards this pitcher, and I think he was a lefty pitcher mainly because he had to be. Yes. And he was an inspirational guy. In a professional baseball setting, missing a limb is absolutely insane to be that good and still do that. And so I thought you would be going with Jim Abbott. If I was picking my favorite pitcher, it absolutely would be Jim Abbott. Jim Abbott was just one of those guys who I was inspired by his story. And he wasn't particularly an overly great pitcher. He was a good pitcher, but he just was so much fun to watch. Because he left his glove on his nub and then he would pitch and then quickly get his arm into the glove right afterwards in case the ball came back his way like he right it was really cool yeah and i believe he actually was on the jim abbott was on the 1992 olympic baseball team i mean his skill as a pitcher i mean obviously yeah he was a strong pitcher but his just his story is very inspirational yeah I did not go with him, however, because I was trying to pick who I thought was going to be. This is my sort of, you know, if I wanted a team to win, this is the team I went with. I went with a 
a very well-known pitcher. He was an amazing pitcher. As a left-handed person, I always have an affinity for left-handed pitchers. Unfortunately, yeah. he's not left-handed. He's right-handed, but he's a legend. He holds the record for the most no-hitters ever thrown. I went with Nolan Ryan. Uh, that I mean, he's that's a great choice. Nolan Ryan is... is that guy, I, I think he's like he's like 120 years old right now, and he can still throw the ball like 80 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, he's fantastic. F- famously beat the shit out of Robin Ventura when Robin Ventura yes! charged the mound. That is a fantastic clip. People, go to YouTube, and you're going to watch a like a 50-year-old, or he's at least 40-year-old, Nolan Ryan beating the crap <laughs> out of him. Uh, uh, it's, it's awesome. My backup pitcher is... One of the greatest fastball pitchers ever. He exploded a bird in midair, <laughs> and that would be Randy Johnson. That's also another fun clip to watch. Yes. He's another pitcher who I have nothing but respect for. All right, so we're going to go to our catcher, number two position. Pitcher and catcher in tandem. A lot of people give credit to the pitcher for a good performance, but the catcher plays a lot into it because they're very much a team. And in fact, in a lot of pitching stats or a lot of pitching records, they'll also list who the catcher was for any given game, like for no hitters thrown, because the catcher is playing as big a part. I'm going to go ahead and start. I went with... A player who I've actually mentioned before, I think I talked about him when we talked about the Sandlot, he is considered to be Babe Ruth's contemporary, his equal, and in some cases, maybe even his better. He is not known in the major leagues because he never played in the major leagues. He played in the Negro Leagues, and I went with Josh Gibson. Possibly one of the greatest hitters of all time. From what you talked about, and then I did look him up afterwards, um, it is pretty in- impressive career what he did. Yeah, and short career too, because he died fairly young. He died in his 30s. That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that sounds like a good call. Me going with my favorites. I actually did think about like a really good catcher at one point, so I thought Johnny Bench mm-hmm. possibly, but I ended up falling back <laughs> to my favorites. I almost put Brian McCann because he's so he wasn't a 90s Braves player. Right. Brian McCann was a really good catcher for the Braves in the 2000s. Yes. He's either still playing or just recently retired. He was really consistent and he was a, Actually, I think he was part of the Houston Astros team that just won. Oh, nice. So. But he's yeah, he's a strong cat. He was like a good catcher mind, I feel. Yeah. Was Brian McCann. But when I think of the catchers that I like, I went back to Javi Lopez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's not he's not the greatest of all time, but in my head, he's my favorite. And a good-looking guy to boot. <laughs> He really is. He was like a model. Kind of annoyingly so. Yeah. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's go to our number three position, first base. First base always held a special place in my heart because I played first base when I played baseball. Yep, me too. I did the same thing. I love first base. Because I was left-handed, I was always first base or outfield, which is sad because I always wanted to be the catcher, but they don't really use (laughs) left-handed catchers. I'm going to go ahead and start. This is the position I had the toughest one because there's so many great first basemen. I was tempted to say Freddie Freeman, who is the current Braves first base because he really is a fantastic first baseman. He's tall. He's good on the stretch. But I also was a big fan of Fred McGriff. Granted, he also played for the Braves. You also have guys like Jim Tomey, who I think has the most home runs of any first baseman. It's either him or David Ortiz, but no one really thinks of David Ortiz as being a first baseman. Not anymore. They think of him as being a hitter. He's He's a DH. But I went with another first baseman who was not a Braves. I think he played a few other places, but I most know him as playing for the White Sox. Uh, I know exactly. He's the other name on mine. I didn't pick him, but yeah. And uh, he's more known as being a hitter, but I've always loved this guy. I thought he was just an incredible player. I went with Frank Thomas. Yeah, it's a good choice. What I like about Frank Thomas is, I mean, he was he, he was strong. Like he just looked intimidating. He was a big, strong guy, and you didn't, you would not want to fuck with Frank Thomas. No, 
We have a connection to Frank Thomas. Did you know that? Our uncle coached him at Auburn University. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I've got another story for that. Another player that our uncle coached. Because our uncle was a coach at uh, at Auburn. It was a, he was an assistant coach, which is very cool. Yeah, Frank Thomas was the other name that I wrote. But I went with someone you already mentioned. I went with Fred McGriff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like Fred. I mean, but even Fred McGriff, even though he was a brave and he helped us win the 95 World Series. Um, and this is my third brave, which is funny <laughs> because I don't have all braves. But like right now, he was my third brave. Fred McGriff, is a res- he's a respect first baseman I think no matter what and even if he wasn't even his his career outside of being ever because he only brave for like what two three seasons I right think. he made his bones as a San Diego Padre for me he's always embedded in my head as a brave and I loved him because also it was the World Series run that he was in on and uh yeah so yeah Fred McGriff but yeah I like Frank Thomas is a great choice as well all right so let's move on to second base I'm gonna go ahead and jump on with this one also another position I had a hard time with there's some really great second baseman uh Ryan Sandberg who played for the Cubs was a really great second baseman. I thought Brandon Phillips is, even though Brandon Phillips is kind of on, he's kind of slow. He did play for the Braves briefly, but he's kind of on his career. In his heyday, Brandon Phillips was an amazing second baseman. I actually went with someone whose second base was not his primary position, but this man had no primary position because he played all positions. He holds the record for the most hits of any player with 4,200 and. 56 hits and unfortunately is not allowed to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I can understand allowing someone not to be in the Hall of Fame because of something they did to increase their playability like, you know, steroids or other drugs like that, but he gambled. Yeah, I'm with you. He should be in. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I went with Pete Rose. No, that's a great choice. Yeah, fuck. I I am so I, I I'm with you. It's so stupid that you can just you'll set aside the whole steroid era and just let those people in eventually, I'm sure. But just let Pete Rose fucking in cuz that guy deserves it. He was a kick-ass player. Yeah. Great call. I had two names that I ultimately would think of. Um, one of them, Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. who played second base. Uh, and I'm sure, I think he played maybe a couple other positions, but he was obviously an all-time great as well as very um, inspirational and and helped change the league forever, which was good. But I ended up going with back to the 90s. This time, not with the Braves. I went with the Cubbies, and you already mentioned it, Ryan Sandberg, yep. who was a great second baseman. And I just, I, for some reason, when I think of second base, I think of Ryan, which is named R-Y-N-E, not Ryan. I think of him more than anybody else. So yeah, Ryan Sandberg. No, that's a solid pick. He's definitely a good one. Third base. I want to hear your pick first. The very first name I thought of was actually Cal Ripken Jr., who played both uh, shortstop and third base. But I kind of remember third base more because that was later in his year in his career. Uh-huh. But uh, maybe I'm just repeating myself when it comes to 90s and Braves. I almost picked Terry Pendleton because he's just <laughs> a large, big guy. I loved, I loved him. He was so much fun to watch. Yes, he was really big. But also when it comes to possibly some of the greatest third baseman of all time, this guy is a Brave and he played forever and he's one of the greatest Braves if not the greatest brave uh, i'm going with chipper jones i also picked chipper jones because yeah. who else are you gonna pick he didn't retire that long ago and he's already in the hall of fame yeah he, he had an unbelievable career yeah and he only was a brave which is something you rarely see is anyone staying with you know one team for that long i remember him coming in as a rookie in the 90s and just sticking with it and it just it paid off for him he was an amazing player. I don't think you can really argue. I mean, you can make you, you can make good arguments for other players, but I really don't think you 
can make any arguments against Chipper Jones. Yep. We could talk for probably a very long time about how we love Chipper Jones, but we got to move on. We have at least four other positions to get to. Let's go to shortstop. I'll let you take this one first. You know, I thought for a second of Raphael for call, but he's not who I picked because, again, just for the Braves. I went with probably the most fun shortstop ever. I think I know where you're going. The man who could backflip. Mm-hmm. Ozzie Smith. Yes. He is super cool. He's just he was a he was a fun guy to watch and he was good. He was a good player too. So Ozzie Smith is mine. That is definitely a solid pick. And I almost went with Ozzie Smith. This might be controversial and I might be biased in this pick. This is my only person who is still playing. And I really truly believe that this guy is the greatest defensive shortstop to ever play the game. And he's not done yet. I think he's maybe halfway through his career. Yes, he played for the Braves. He no longer plays for the Braves. He plays for the Angels. His batting is not great, but you cannot deny that he is at least the greatest defensive shortstop playing now, and I'm going to say ever. I went with Andrelton Simmons. Okay. Which who you obviously have not watched baseball in the last... I, I have no, I haven't. Six, six or seven years. If you get a chance, YouTube Andrelton Simmons defensive highlights and just watch the show this man puts on. He was incredible. He's a humble player. He just wants to play the game. He has an incredible arm. He actually was drafted as a pitcher, but wanted to play every day, so he switched to shortstop. But I just cannot say enough good things about this guy. He's probably one of the first players that I was just absolutely destroyed when I found out that they traded him. So yeah, go look him up. Andrelton Simmons, defensive highlights on YouTube. You'll find several videos of his defensive highlights, and a lot of them are with the Braves. He's amazing, and I think he's going to go. I think he will be a Hall of Famer strictly for how amazing he is on defense. Very cool. Our outfielders, left field. I'm going to jump in with left field because I'm excited about my left field pick. There are a lot of really good outfielders. Granted, a lot of outfielders could probably switch to other outfield positions, and it, each each outfield position does have its own sort of special concerns, and, and largely a lot of people can switch. a lot, Especially between left and right field, you can kind of just yeah. switch between the two positions. Center field, you usually have a really fast guy because they got to run. they got to cover two areas. Speaking of people who can run, this guy holds the record for most stolen bases. 1,406 bases stolen. The next guy below him... 938. Jeez, that's sick. 500 more than the next guy for career stolen bases. I went with Ricky Henderson. Yeah, I have him on my list too. He's uh, with the Oakland Athletics, very famously like, for a long time. He's a great call. I, I thought I absolutely thought about him. He is good. I ended up, I even thought of uh, Neon Deion Sanders uh, for a little <laughs> bit. But I ended up going with a different guy. In my opinion, it's probably the greatest professional athlete of all time. He is a multi-sporter, and he was also played for Auburn. Our uncle coached him uh, on, on on Auburn's baseball team, and that's Bo Jackson. Yeah. Bo Jackson is the, in my opinion, yeah, the greatest athlete ever. And if I wanted to pick my favorite slash really good players, it's hard not to have him because you could he you could do anything, and Bo Jackson is gonna do it. Uh, it's rough that his his kind of his career sort of ended short. I believe he had an injury or something like that that really kind of ended yeah. his. Because he was amazing. And not only was he amazing that he played both sports, he was amazing in both sports. Yeah, he was. He was an amazing baseball player. He was an amazing running back for the Oakland Raiders. Every time I play the game Tecmo Super Bowl, yeah, yeah. I play as the Raiders so I can play as Bo Jackson because he's the best. That's almost cheating. <laughs> it's almost cheating because he's too good in the game. 
And it's a solid pick. I really wish he could have made his career last all the way through because he would have done some amazing things. He did do some amazing things. Yeah. I will. I cannot fault you for that pick because he is an amazing athlete. Center field. I had a hard time with this one. There's a lot of good center fielders out there. Yeah. Ty Cobb, Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. Let me hear your pick first. I didn't go with the greatest center fielder of all time. Okay. I went with my favorite. I went with a guy. He was the first player I ever saw leap a wall and catch a home run and got an out before it went a home run. I know where you're going. And it was an amazing catch pretty much for just that catch. And just, he was amazing with that. Like, I I was so like shook (laughs) by that catch and other people have done him since but he was the very first one that i ever saw do it and it was incredible he very famously got arrested for crack use uh (laughs) in like the early 2000s i feel bad for him but he was a lot of fun to watch on the 90s braves and that's otis nixon yeah i think he also i don't know if he holds a record or is tied for the record for the most bases stolen in one game i think he stole like four or five bases in one game he was an entertaining guy to watch. He's very athletic, kind of strangely thin looking. Yeah, almost lanky. Yeah, very lanky looking, but was really fast. Great hitter, great kind of, kind of contact hitter and base runner. Good defensive center fielder. I don't know that I ever would have put him in my list. Yeah, probably. No, I know he's not. He's not a best of center field. There's And center field has so many good players that it's, yeah, really tough. Yeah. I, my pick, he's a legend. It's hard to compare baseball from like the 40s to now because the game is just it's different the athleticism of the players are different people can try to tell me that babe ruth could last today i'm not really sure he could no 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 chance i really don't think so i went with a legend from the yankees because he just he accomplished a lot and i went with mickey mantle great call i'm not gonna say bad choice with mickey mantle (laughs) Our last one, right field. I'm going to go ahead and jump in there. Okay. There's a good chance we might have the same one. I'm betting we do. If you've seen the way I've gone with a lot of Braves, this guy, he's maybe the most famous Brave of all time. Mm-hmm. He still has the most legitimate amount of home runs in the history of baseball. <laughs> it's Hank Aaron. He's so fucking good. He was amazing. And he was right field. And that's that's my boy. That's what I'm going. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly who I went with. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. And in my head, he is the home run. He's my home run king. He's our home run yeah, king. Always. He'll always be our home run king, I think. If you've never seen it, go watch the Vin Scully calling of Hank Aaron's famous home run when he beat Babe Ruth. There are two of them because there was the Braves commentator and then there was the one from the Dodgers who they were playing at the time, which was Vin Scully, who famously only just retired a year or two ago. It's one of the greatest, most emotional callings of a sport event that you'll listen to. There's sort of just the respect that, that, that Vin Scully showed for this man. And largely, Hank Aaron kind of flew under the radar. You know, he was known as being a good hitter, but he wasn't like, you know, this big flash guy he just was consistent and was consistently racking up home runs and it wasn't until like a year or two before this happened that people started to notice hey he's creeping up on Babe Ruth's record I've never met him in person it would be just an absolute dream to meet this guy I've seen several interviews he seems incredibly humble he's very knowledgeable about the game I don't think I've ever had anything bad to say about Hank Aaron for any reason he's just amazing our two common picks were braves picks yeah yeah but for good reason not just because they were braves but because they are hall of famers very true both of them i mean are so like they're in like the top 
three for their position, so it's not uncommon for other people to pick them as well. Yeah. All right, that is our fantasy baseball draft, I will say. It's less a casting and more a draft. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with this one just because I'm a big baseball fan. I'm I'm excited for the season to get going. I'm hoping my team, who's the Braves, who have not been very good the last couple of years, are trying to rebuild some stuff. I hope they get back out there. I'll still be cheering for them even from a thousand miles away. And as you can see from my casting, I really haven't gotten out of the 90s. (laughs) And that's probably why we're doing a nostalgia podcast right now. (laughs) Please join us next time for a very special episode where we have a very special guest, our dad, and we review the movie Billy Jack the TV show Bonanza, and we do a casting of real-life Western badasses. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast. That's at blastpastcast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time... I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Mm